0: Australia broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mitch Moroni Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroni. Okay, welcome everybody. Today we have our guest Kate Carnell. She is the small business ombudsman for Australia, and it's gonna be a really interesting podcast to learn what the Ombudsman does and how they can help and yeah go from there. G'day Kate, how are
1: you? I'm very well thanks Mitchell.
0: That's good. That's lovely good.
1: day in Canberra apart from being um, starting to get a bit cold I have to say but there you are.
0: Yeah we'll be getting a bit cold over there now. It's actually not too bad here it's been raining and extremely windy the last couple of days but it's not too bad. As well. Now tell us a bit about yourself.
1: I've been in the role as the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, which is the world's worst name, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. It is a mouthful. Uh, it is a mouthful, absolutely, and you can't even abbreviate it very well because it's a spiffio. <laughs> yeah. A spifio, you must admit, you know, uh, so it doesn't spifio. work at all. So, Mitchell, I'm a pharmacist by profession and I think you should be able to treat a spiffio with drugs. You know, that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> some dreadful disease. I'm a pharmacist by profession. I bought my first business back in 1981. Yes, I was, you know, I was at primary school. No, I wasn't, but I was pretty young. And so I ran my own businesses for for a number of pharmacies over a number of uh, years and ended up getting pretty involved in industry associations, things like Chambers of Commerce and Pharmacy Guild and that, I'll cut, you know, long story short, that brought me into the political arena. I ended up being in politics for eight, nine years. I was chief minister of the ACT, which is sort of equivalent to premier. Territories have chief ministers and states have premiers for all sorts of reasons unknown to anybody. (laughs) Um, So for five and a half years. And -hmm. since then I've been running industry associations in a range of areas including Beyond Blue and you know always keen to talk about mental health issues as a teenager i had anorexia so you know i have lived personal experience as i have with some of my family and others over the years so that's a passion but i want to talk to you about the role i'm doing now the Australian mm-hmm. small business and family enterprise ombudsman i was uh, ceo of the australian chamber of commerce and industry before this role and this role came up because It was um, a new piece of legislation that was passed through Parliament under the auspices of the then Small Business Minister, Bruce Bilson, who believed really strongly that small businesses and family enterprises needed a stronger voice, a stronger independent voice Mm -hmm. in Canberra in the federal arena. So the legislation was passed and the legislation is unusual. So my position is statutory. That Mm -hmm. means that I'm... Independent, I don't report to the government of the day, but I do have a piece of legislation that, fairly obviously, I'm required to comply with. What that legislation does is gives me two roles: one is an advocacy role, and one is an assistance role, more traditional ombudsman type role where we help small businesses that have got problems with other businesses, big businesses, or with the federal government, or government-related entities, you know, banks, those sort of things. So we do that. But the advocacy part of what we do allows us to have inquiries into things, to provide advice to government on, you know, policy direction and so on. And so that's why we've done a really large amount of work in things like bank contracts, unfair contracts. Payment times has been a huge part of what we do. And I work really closely with other small business commissioners around Australia. David Eaton, obviously, in Western Australia, but South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and just recently Queensland all have a small business commissioner that works at a state level. Yep. So, look, I've just got the best role in the world, really, because I get to work on behalf of small businesses on issues that are important to them. And I've got a level of independence which allows me to, well, I always say our boss, you know, in my office, our boss is small business and family enterprise. Mm -hmm. Our boss isn't the government. You know, if we say things that that, uh, the government doesn't like, that's fine as long as it's what small businesses, you know, are telling us and what they need. So uh, aren't I lucky? And, of course, I work really closely with accountants and bookkeepers and the other important people, that are part of the whole environment of small business and are essential to small business success. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that sounds great. And, I mean, it's always good to have a big body, especially in small business, that can help support you, especially
0: unfair terms or, you know, where there's a large disparity in power, I suppose. Mum, dad sort of small business that's worth contracting to BHP for argument's sake. You know, well, it's big, really
1: hard, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's, it's hard on your own to get justice, but uh, I have to say it's amazing how often my letterhead, which has sort of got the Commonwealth crest at the top, you know, and gets attention, one might say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, if I got a letter from you, well, not that I'm a big company, but a letter from you guys, it would definitely get my attention.
1: <laughs> well, well, or-
0: well, they so, even
1: does it BHP and Rio and all, you know, a whole range of really big companies that, yeah. uh, you know, do pay attention to what we say.
0: So we'll go into the advocacy side in a minute, but from a like helping small business side, I suppose, what is the more common things you guys deal with?
1: We deal with payment times. In other words, you know, people haven't been paid, I yeah. suppose. At the moment, that's an escalating problem. With a large number of big businesses that certainly have their own cash flow problems, channeling that down the supply chain to small businesses, which of course is totally unacceptable. Yes. We've also got so people not being paid in a reasonable time frame is real contractual disputes. So things like I ordered a refrigeration for my my cafe, it's arrived and it's not what I ordered. You know Absolutely. that sort of of issues we also look after the franchising code the horticulture code the dairy code and the oil code so there's a range so we do a number of franchising issues again power imbalance issues between franchisors and franchise and franchisees so it's a wide range of issues some intellectual property issues i must admit they're complex areas but often if you can just bring it down to what the real problem is and work with both parties. We use mediation as our method of getting results. Sometimes we can get results just by writing a letter and saying, you know, why haven't you paid? Or could you please tell us your side of the story, which is what we normally do. Fascinatingly, it's amazing how often the CEO had no idea that you know a bill hadn't been paid or particular behavior is happening and it's fixed quickly if not we use mediation at times conciliation those sorts of approaches to help the two parties get together we use professional mediators it's amazing what can be achieved and you know one of the things you know we're sort of tattooed on our forehead is keep these disputes out of the court system yes. because one thing we know is The court system in Australia is expensive and it's long. Is something that's, unless you happen to be BHP, you should stay a very long way away because it'll send you broke.
0: Yeah, well, pretty much. It's slightly too on my personal side of things. I did have an issue with a very large company a year or two ago and it, it ended up going legal and all the rest. We did yeah. that all outside of court, but a lot of the honestly, it was due to they've got deeper pockets than me and it's just not worth me pouring money in and risking essentially everything. And, you know, from their side, it is, a game. they'll drag it out. They know they've got more money than, you know, a small business would. Yeah,
1: that's right. And
0: they will essentially try and put you in the ground for it. So
1: Absolutely. And remember, you know, from their lawyer's perspective, every day in court is another fee. From the lawyer's perspective, the longer you can pull this out, the better it is for them. We perceive we've failed if disputes we have end up in the court system. You know, we've got any any number of dramatic stories about even quite large amounts of dispute. But one of, say, so a bigger company owed a little company four hundred thousand dollars, which for almost all small businesses, that's big big yeah, money. That's a huge amount. Um, they knew that all they really had to do was make it last long enough for the $400,000 not to be worth the time and effort in the court system. Yeah. And, you know, that's just... Anyway, later on this year we're going to release a paper on access to justice because I have to say I think, you know, what we've just talked about shows that a court system is actually failing normal Australians. And I mean individuals and small-to-medium businesses, it's just too expensive and too slow. Yeah. So we need a different system. So we're working on that.
0: Yeah, that's that's, that's good to hear. It was one, a big learning curve for for myself going down that, but it was really, you know, I thought we had a strong case and all the rest, but from a strategic point of view, it just wasn't worth the risk.
1: It's sad, Mitchell, because, you know, you say you you had a good case. I bet you had a really good case. And the fact that the system really excludes people without deep pockets or a yeah. capacity to wait around for four years or something—you know—we've got a failure in that yeah. space. So, no matter how good your case is, the case yeah. can still take four years, even if it's the best case in the universe.
0: Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, after that, like in my case, I go right into it, but it was our business line, so our business yeah. line number got transferred from one entity to another provider yep. of which the new provider lost it and cut it off for three months so yep. no clients could contact us no nothing
1: a bit disastrous in business yes
0: yes yes especially for you know small business and that was three months after I bought a practice with that number so mm. look it was an interesting time um obviously we got through it and, and, and all that, but you know as I said it was it just was uneconomical to take the risk of, you know, legal fees and all of that for the recoveries because... No, it's, it's,
1: look, it shows what the problem is, but that's a really good example of the sort of stuff we do. It's surprising how often people do lose phone numbers and internet connections when you change providers. So, you know, we look after cases like that. But importantly, from an advocacy perspective, we look at, you know, what's happening in the marketplace and look at what the issues are. You know, so if the court system is not fit for purpose for almost all cases in the small business arena, particularly when there's big business and small business involved, then we've got to do something about it. And it's a bit similar with payment times: with big businesses going to you know sixty-five days end of month, one hundred and twenty days end of month. Small businesses can't manage that, no. but they also can't argue the toss either because of you can't not deal with them, you know, because yeah. they're the biggest game in town.
0: Exactly. So and on that exact payment term issue, I have clients that um, they deal with mining companies more, they're welders and fabricators side of things. Yeah. And that's their payment term, 60 days after the end of the month. And it might say they buy the steel by the time they weld it and install it and stuff, and say two months later, issue the invoice and then it's like another two months, three months. So, you know, sometimes they've outlaid the cost for the job five months before they actually get paid for the job and they've got to hold yeah. the cost of the employees and everybody for that five months, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, you know very well that, you know, cash flow is king in small business. That's what uh, I'm sure you do with your, your clients. And, you know, it's, it's always tragic, which you would have seen, to see businesses go to the wall not because their business is necessarily bad, but simply because their cash flow can't actually sustain the business or business growth. And, you know, that is unfortunately is what happens, you know, if you've got some big clients that are paying really slowly and all of your outgoings are really quick, you know, your staff, your landlord, you know, your ATO, you know, all the things that, uh, you know, that cost money. and you know, it's sad how often you see businesses really get to a point where they're trading insolvents simply because big guys don't pay. Yeah. And a exactly. reasonable timeline.
0: And as a consequence of that, normally obviously the money has to come from somewhere. So they'll approach the bank, get line credits, etc. Which, yeah. you know, is is fine and that's part of business. But the longer they're start taking a pay, obviously there's interest and the holding costs of that fund. Yeah. And then it just sort of snowball and and can become a real issue.
1: So those are the sorts of issues we deal with. And, of course, right at the moment, like everyone, we're, you know, up to our ears in issues surrounding COVID-19 and government policies in the space and trying to get clear information out to small business. I have to say, I think, you know, state governments, federal government have done Amazing job of attempting to get support packages, you know, or support programs
0: out really quickly. Yeah, you know, which is something the
1: government doesn't naturally do very
0: well. Yeah, um, exactly. Like most of the time, any sort of legislation of this size takes years, and it goes before Parliament, gets knocked back for changes, etc. Two weeks to a month, it was in, and it was happening. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but I, I'll give them hats off to them. They they made yeah. it happen.
1: I think that's one of the things that we all have to focus on a bit, that, yes, there'll be changes. There should be. I mean, we're lobbying Treasury right now for some policy changes in JobKeeper, Mm -hmm. you know, things that have just fallen through the cracks or aren't quite right. But I know I've got some, you know, some pretty ordinary feedback from some people in the business community saying, it changes all the time. Well, you know, if you're doing something this quickly, inevitably you're not going to get it right the first time and what we really need is for them to be willing to change it to address these things. So I must admit, I, I just ask people to bear with the fact that a range of these things will continue to change, as they should, to try to shore up holes yeah. that weren't obvious.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And because obviously normally they would have consultation papers, there would be all different parties reviewing it, seeing loopholes, etc. But just because of the sheer time that they had to do it in, that didn't happen or didn't happen to the degree it normally does. So,
2: yeah, as a consequence, there is going to be holes people miss, et cetera. But if they're willing to
0: adjust and amend it, which it seems like they are, that I think is great because it's out there, it's working, and then they're going, okay, this area needs to be tweaked. So they'll go tweak that. But at least it's out there and it is helping business.
1: Oh, well, $130 billion, you know, is a lot of money. But for businesses to be able to keep their staff on board or at least, you know, their full-time, part-time, long-term casual staff on board to be paying them often, you know, not as much as they were paid before, sometimes more than they were paid before, but, you know, a reasonable amount of money to help, you know, everybody keep, you know, life and limb together really while we get through this scenario is... Well, it's just incredibly important, as you would know, because I must admit, I think accountants and bookkeepers, you know, maybe brokers and others, you know, really stepped up here because the amount of work in this space and keeping on top of the various things that are available, various levels of government, is incredibly difficult. I mean, I'm sure you've found that because certainly we have and I don't work in that area where you're dealing with clients that need advice right now, this minute.
0: It, they, um, it, it's different to, like, in my whole experience. Normally when, you know, the government changes a tax law or whatever, they'll change it. It'll come in the next financial year or in, say, three months or whatever from um, budget night, et cetera. So you've got a bit of time to get your head around how it all works and all that. But, again, purely because of the time restraints of it, they're announcing stuff Monday night at 9 o'clock Tuesday morning. My phone's ringing going advise on this and yeah. I'm still reading it but they haven't released the actual full papers yeah. you know but overall I think everybody's trying their best and really trying to help yeah there's probably a few mistakes that happen throughout the time but overall I think I think it's it's been very beneficial oh. for everybody
1: look you know and that's the message you know the message for me is look except there's going to be some wrinkles here And I mean, some small businesses have said, I just don't trust them. I can't believe they're going to give me $1,500 a fortnight for my, you know, to support my staff. And I say, believe it, you guys. It's real. It's not some trick. They're really doing it. (laughs) So it's just a different world we live in, Mitchell, isn't
0: it? It is. And from a policy point of view as well, not that I'm a politician or anything, but I do like the fact that it's connected to the employment. So for the small business, because that yeah. is keeping everybody employed, keeping that connection between the employee and the employer. So when we do get through this, which we will eventually, you know, we, yeah. we've always got through whatever's happened. There's still that connection, so it's not like okay, they're shut down. We're just going to give everybody money, and yeah. there's not that still connection. So in theory, once it does come back, they've already got the staff, they've got that relationship, and they can. Like bed, I suppose the government has been saying it. They've hibernated the business. So yeah. when they come back, then it's all good. So I do think from a policy point of view that that was a good good approach.
1: Oh, look, it's the only way to get the economy moving again quickly. And I think we're going to start seeing in the very near future some very solid plans from governments, you know, both state and federal across Australia on plans for reopening, you know, over the next, you know, weeks and months. So you don't want to be in a position as a business. You have to go out to the market to find staff. Yeah. You know, um,
0: it's, you, know uh, you
1: want to be able to pull the staff back, say, okay, we're on, we're on boys and girls. Yeah. Let's get the show on the road.
0: Yeah, um, and they're already trained. They know the process. They know it like it's, yeah. as you would know, anybody that has run a business, recruiting people, yeah. training them, all the is hard work. So if and, you it's cost, software, and it's
1: costly yeah, and it costs it you is. money and not many people have got any money much in business right at the moment. So having your staff that you know and are trained available and ready to go is really important. And, you know, the JobKeeper will go till September. It, you know, it may end up going longer than that, but there yeah. lots of businesses they'll be up and running significantly before that. So they'll have a period of time where they'll be getting JobKeeper but they'll be trading as well. So it really gives them an opportunity to start getting cash flow working a bit better to be able to get the business back on track. So that's why we're, you know, putting lots of pressure on government to say, look, you know, we know we got to get this health stuff right, but at the end of the day, we've got to keep the economy bubbling as well. So we need to do what we need to do to get businesses back on track trading again as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. and. Because obviously, the yeah, the medically it's an issue and I don't want to take away from that, but you also need, the economy needs to keep going. Otherwise, you're going to have all sorts of issues that arguably yeah. could be bigger than the other. You know, you've um, worked mm-hmm. with beyond Blue, the mental health yeah. impact of running a small business, even if it's going well, it's hard, let alone if you're losing your livelihood and all, all the rest. Yeah. So.
1: Mitchell as you and I know lots of small businesses have their their business loans secured against their home in fact most who have debt that's the scenario so, so I think some of the things that often people people who aren't involved in small business particularly forget is that that's the reality so when you see your business through no fault of your own going down the tube really quickly you know it's not just your business I mean I remember you know when I opened my first pharmacy I I had my first pharmacy before I had my first child, so it was my first born. I was, they're very much a part of who you are as a person. But businesses, but people are thinking, I'm, I, you know, I'm not just going to lose my business here, but I could lose the home. I could lose our family home. That is just more stressful than anybody could ever
0: exactly. um, and imagine. I've said to people with it as well, like, you know, in business, you do have to budget for a little bit of downturn and stuff. But you never budget to go to zero. Like, no. Overnight. Exactly. I'm almost go, overnight. Okay, winter its going to go down to 80% of what summer is because it's a bit seasonal or whatever. But, you know, if you're a cafe, you don't expect overnight to go to zero because you can't open like, at no fault of their own, Like, it's obviously the government policy you had to stop for obvious reasons. But from a business point of view, you don't have that. You, you never expect that to happen. So, yeah, that's where the stimulus is, is really helping.
1: Mitchell, I'm sure you'd be going through this with your clients and whatever at the moment is staying to look at what cash flow looks like, mm. you know, post-September because some of the things that we're concerned about at the moment and talking to government about is it's really good that banks have pushed payments out on business loans and home loans. The ATO has pushed out ATO payments. Apart from super, you have to pay your super because the legislation says you have to regardless, yeah. you know, those payments are, are, are being pushed out. The new mandatory commercial tenancy code, you know, is certainly producing some reductions in rent, but another lot of, you know, deferred rent being pushed out. So the importance of having a good plan for what does this look like, what does this all look like post-September, and we can't be sure because we just don't know, you know, how, Quickly, the economy will bounce when we get to open, what that will really look like. But I think we can be confident that personal distancing and even what we call workplace distancing, e.g., you know, one person per four square metres, is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, even yeah. when we're allowed to open again. So, you know, there's never been a more important time to plan cash flow you know, plan what your business looks like, what you can actually do in an environment of social distancing and and also, you know, what your customers now want from you. And I think customers have changed in their expectations and needs and wants. So that's why poor old accountants are under the pump at the moment because this is a whole new world.
0: It is, it is. And it will be really interesting once we get through it and everything lifts. What remains like you said, social distancing, mm. which I would say probably will, everybody washing their hands and all that yeah. and forth, which is, is good. So even just overall illness, colds, flu, etc. will drop in period. That's a good thing. I also think well I, I could see more so there's a lot of businesses that operated on a belief that they could never work from home. They everybody had to be in the office. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're forced to work from home or so you're forced to adapt. Yeah. So you know this is a bit bigger than the small business, but I could imagine there would be some companies going. Well, why would I pay a million dollars a year in rent for a CBD location where I could either go a little bit more regional or have all my employees work from home, even if, say, if productivity drops slightly and it costs a hundred grand a year lost productivity. But you're saving nine hundred thousand on top, so uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, I suppose, what happens in that respect.
1: Mitchell, it is inevitable that will happen, and I think we're starting to see it already in some of the bigger firms, the big accounting firms, so the KPMGs, the you know Deloitte's, all those guys, consulting, accounting, stroke tro- consulting firms. I know they're looking at this and going, so we've managed with people working from home. People have gone literally home you know they were working in sydney they're now you know working out of gosford you know regional areas where their family home might be i know there's a whole lot of work going on and saying so what does business as usual look like Mm -hmm. and if as a company we've always said hey we support flexible workplaces all of a sudden it's going to be really interesting as to how you actually make that real because if people want to continue to work from home it's going to be really interesting I mean if you've got those policies in place you've almost got to say well okay yeah you know yeah, exactly. let's see if we can make it work yeah. and that will be good for rural and regional areas yeah. it'll be good for growth away from CBDs which is good good spread, from uh, all sorts of perspectives. Spread the love, you know, yeah. absolutely. Um, improve our, uh, actually, you know, productivity. I was talking to somebody yesterday who's got, a, you know, a, a senior, a CFO role in a, you know, mid, mid-tier company and she was saying, for me, this has been brilliant. She commutes for four hours a day. You know, it takes because yeah. it's Sydney, you know. Yeah. So she's commuting in from sort of the northern top end of the northern beaches almost central coast Mm. to the office and so for her she's got all this extra time so for her it does increase her productivity and she's saying you know i'm not going back this has shown me what life really looks like so it will be interesting to see just what we as a society look like at the other end of this and it could be a real boon for rural and regional australia that you know has struggled a little bit
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think there'd be a portion of professional that works in CD, Perth, that's always kind of wanted a hobby farm sort of thing for himself, but is like, I don't want to commute two hours each way to do it because, you know, my career is being a lawyer or whatever. Open up that opportunity to go, you know what, I can do that. I can still work from home, do the job I love, and, you know, help. that yep. side of things. But I could also get this work-life balance and have the hobby farm, for sake, that they've been looking for.
1: So yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen. And I think the challenge for all of us in business is, as we work with our staff, you know, in terms of reopening things, getting back on track, is actually having those discussions with our people on what they want, what's working for them. Mind you, it's got to work. Yeah, now, I must yeah, admit. Everyone who tells me that productivity doesn't suffer when you've got staff working all over the place, I have to say I think they've, they're kidding themselves a little because it yeah. does. But for people who can do it, for people who who really find working from home a positive thing and they can actually be productive at home, why would we get in the way of that?
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, and, I mean, on, on that same note, I suppose I'm similar but in the opposite way of... I actually quite struggle to work at home. Like I'll do a little bit. Me too. Distracted. I've got a dog that comes in and annoys me and wants love and all the rest. So actually going to the office sets my mind to, okay, we're going to work, you know, and so home time, work's work. But hats off to people that can sort of merge them yeah. but Yeah, I'm Mitchell,
1: fine. I'm with you. When I'm at home, I can think of 50 million other things to do. Yeah. You know, or just got to go and do such. Oh, it should just go and do that. You know, I'm hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. So I fit in the I am very unproductive at home space. But do you know I've got a few staff members that are just good at it and really enjoy it. I think it might mean that we end up with this really big division between the introverts and the extroverts. Yeah,
0: Yeah. exactly. exactly. (laughs) But anyway. It would be interesting if that was the case and happens. From a, I suppose, mental health point of view as well, you know, the impacts of that. Because obviously, you know, Zoom and stuff's amazing technology now to stay connected. But if you are working from home and you're not say, going out and seeing people and connecting anyway, that could produce a, a, a bit of a negative impact for some people. Because sometimes work is their social connection to other humans.
1: Absolutely. But there's two sets of people again introverts and extroverts. One of the things we found when I was CEO of Beyond Blue, and I'm still deputy chair of Beyond Blue, so still involved heavily, was that, you know, when you're thinking about managing a staff, and Beyond Blue's got quite a lot lot of staff, Mm. you know, putting your introverts at a place, you know, where people walk past all day, you know, like at the lifts or next to the kitchen or whatever. I mean, it's really stressful for them because people are really stressful. Whereas your extroverts, the problem is you can't shut them up. So they talk to everyone who walks past. It's one of those interesting challenges. But that's what the world's going to look like as we all start coming back to work. And I think some of our challenges is, you know, people running businesses, even quite small businesses, is having those discussions with people, with your staff about, you know, what was good, what was bad, you know, what's worrying them about coming back to work, what are they looking forward to? and. Yeah. You know,
0: making sure improve? that can we do? Yeah. do it for it because like we said with the government policy, but even from the small business working on it, because it happened so quickly, it was kind of a sink or swim we'll figure out along the way. So yeah. I do think it's important, even if they are coming back to work or whatever the scenario is, to review it and learn what worked, what didn't. Because it could be a case of, yeah, this part didn't work, but if we tweak it a little bit, then that's cool. Like, So it it does open that sort of thing up from a business growth and, like, just having a look at policies and procedures sort of thing.
1: It's absolutely true. And we've seen some really smart businesses that have pivoted quite significantly and are doing things in different ways, which I think they'll probably continue to do. You know, I'm doing an interview tomorrow with a local baker here who, Paul Bugger, opened a business after lots of years being a pastry chef for another business last October. And for Canberra, you know, the smoke over the Christmas period, even though Canberra itself wasn't burnt, we had fires all the way around and down the coast. And so it was not a pleasant time to be outside or sitting out having a cup of coffee and a, you know, and a cake. So Christmas was pretty ordinary. And then we had COVID and he's only been operating since October. But, he decided, okay, if people won't come to me, I'm going to them. So he's got almost the Mister Whippy truck of bakeries, and he's he is you know he is extraordinary. He does the best sourdough, and yeah, you know, so he's a, he's a great baker. But he's got um, the Mister Whippy van, more or less, you know, with the music, and he's going around to various parts of Canberra and. Selling from the back of the truck, really, and doing actually okay.
0: Yeah, I love hearing that sort of thing. Like people were adapting and, and that's, that's amazing. And I tell you what, if he, I assume he's going to do well, And if he gets through all of this, he'll get through anything because he's had a very hard start to the business.
1: And, you know, it probably comes to what's, what is the most important thing, most important quality you need in business mm. and it really is about resilience isn't it yeah. resilience and about being be able to see outside the square to be able to change with the environment and not be caught back in you know well when I started pharmacy this is what we did you know I tell you what when I started pharmacy I had a an Apple IIe computer that I thought was really amazing because if I typed in T1 TDS PC, it came up as take one three times a day after meals. I thought that was so clever. I mean, you know, it wasn't very clever. And it was 64Ks, so it had no memory. Now pharmacies are computerised to the extent of, you know, lots of pharmacies now have robots that are doing, that are actually getting stuff off the shelf and all of your um, stock is computer managed and so on. I don't feel that old, I sound that old. You know? <laughs> but it shows that the world turns and how you operate your business has to change, regardless. put COVID-19 in the mix. and for that matter, natural disasters, you know droughts, floods, you know a whole range of other things, your capacity to be resilient, to be able to bounce back and to be able to think about better ways to do things and, you know, better ways of responding to what your customers might be interested in or what might make people use you rather than other businesses is pretty important. And, boy, this has shown it oh. upfront and personal.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, even on on that adaptability side of things, as a, you know hits close to home with accounting. So, you know, over the last 10, 15 years side of things, with technology advancing at such a rate, what we do now is nothing better what we used to do. No sitting there doing it manually and then getting the admin person or assistant to type it into the computer or anything like that. Mm. Now it all just happens and obviously we still do work, but it's amazing how, how fast it's born and mostly obviously because of how fast technology is just adapting and moving forward. Mm. But You know, there's other things like government policy, so single touch payroll, for example. One of the byproducts of it, intentionally or unintentionally, from the ATO point of view, is it's forcing businesses onto software. So yeah, that's right. Will be better or should be better.
1: Oh, they will be better.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I've been trying for that. (laughs) That's an unintended or side benefit of yeah that you're reporting the. Information weekly or however often you pay the employee, HTO gets that and have a look, etc. But you know, just forcing people to be on an electronic system and that increases accuracy of the accounts. Increases, I would assume. I haven't actually looked at these figures, but because increasing accuracy of accounts will increase accuracy of the tax, and just it provides a better platform for business to operate on.
1: It also, Mitchell, allows small businesses to use other products, other apps that these days are pretty cheap, you know, for scheduling, rostering apps for your staff, some stock control type projects. I mean, there's a whole range of these now in app stores that have all of these uh, really smart apps you can use in business. Once you've got the platform in place, then your capacity to do a whole range of things, sell online, the capacity to to really get much more involved in social media, to manage customer bases and so on, it all escalates your capacity to be productive as a business. You know, again, back in my Apple IIe days of of pharmacy, advertising was TV, which was prohibitively expensive. There was radio, but really there was those, you know, the colourful leaflets with the boy or the girl on the bike. No such thing as social media. So, Small businesses are a much better place now to be able to use tools that were far, far too expensive for small businesses to use once upon a time, which is I suppose one of the opportunities of this very difficult time we live in is the opportunity to do all those things that as a small business person you've never had a chance to do because you'd be too busy running your business properly and, you know, things like getting you, customer base, your database up, you know, really ensuring that your social media presence is as good as it could be. Doing some online learning is some great, really cheap or free courses that are being made available by state governments, by Google, by a whole range of people to help you understand digitisation better, all sorts of things, you know. And, And so from a positive perspective, You might never have had a chance to do those things before and now maybe is the time to say, okay, well, I need to be able to up my online presence. I need to understand how to use my data better, you know, in terms of data management.
0: Yeah, Um, exactly. And I think obviously that's important because they've got the time at the moment they can really invest in because a lot of small business obviously depending on the industry but they don't realise the value in the Data they've got, so Absolutely. you know, most business not if it's not retail or something, but like say, mechanics or something like that, yeah, have their name of the client, phone number, contact details, what vehicle they've got, all that sort of thing. So, it also opens up the idea of, yeah, how else could I leverage that? You know, it could, it could be a case of, let's just say, a for example, I've got. Yeah all their their financial details, like everything. So maybe it's time to go, a lot of them are going to have loans, let's bring a mortgage broker on and offer that facility or stuff like that where you can leverage the same asset and get more for it and then the customer gets a better service as well, as I always say, because we do have relationships with mortgage brokers and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, great, yeah, absolutely.
0: I do say to the clients, look, if you can get it better elsewhere or whatever, go for it. Why wouldn't you? You know, we're offering yeah. this service. You know, you're not having to pay the broker. obviously comes through the bank. But we're offering that. But if you can get a better deal in a car yard or whatever you're doing, then do it. Like, you uh, know, it's your face.
1: No, look, absolutely. So you have to say, you wouldn't say so there's many upsides for COVID-19 and I can't quite <laughs> think of one. But there are, there are opportunities as well and because I love to cook and so I love the the restaurant in Melbourne that's a five-star restaurant, so it's hatted, it, you know, had to close. And so instead of just having takeaway like lots of them have done, they've put together sort of boxes with a YouTube video which helps you cook these sort of cordon bleu sort of scenarios from scratch, yeah. watching the chef so now take this, you know, chop it up, this is what you, and, you know, I mean, some real That's information. Amazing, amazing idea. It, it's a really cool idea and you pay for it. Yeah. But your capacity to do a, you know, a full restaurant called on dinner at home and learn, mm-hmm. you know, some of the skills at the same time was real. And I thought, you know, good on you restaurant, thinking yeah. way outside the square for a five-star type. Yeah, you know, yeah restaurant.
0: That, that's very innovative. But well, I would one hundred percent do that. Not only for obviously the food, which would be delicious, but yeah, like you said, learning how to cook at that level and what sort of you need to do, and that would be a massive benefit. And I enjoy cooking as well, and it fills that hobby void as well. So yeah,
1: no, look. So just show you that there's things that you can do that you might not have thought of before. And I think um, from what I understand of that particular restaurant, they'll keep doing it because they're making quid out of it. But fairly obviously there's a group of people who really like to cook and so like to create themselves and like to be able to try to make something like this very upmarket restaurant would make. And you get to take a photo of it and put it on Instagram with other people who are... having a go as well so a bit of a competition as well to make it if I get you can really make it look like the chef made it look
0: yeah (laughs) make it exciting and yeah and you know from the restaurant point of view they've just potentially found another business line so I'm sure that restaurant that will keep going once again yeah that'll go they'll keep that and now they've got two revenue sources rather than just the one which which is awesome. Absolutely. That, that's the goal. Anyway, I just
1: thought that was, you've got to love the people who have done some, some pretty smart things and have kept staff busy-ish, you know, maybe not totally busy, but they've kept their staff on. I was talking to a restaurant who's done a few of those sorts of things here in Canberra, and from his perspective, because he had some overseas staff on board, as many restaurants did, From his perspective, what this has done is who don't get JobKeeper for those unlike you and me who are up to here knowing who gets it and who doesn't. But by doing those things, the restaurant has been able to keep on their overseas visa holders, you know, in this space and keep them employed, which is fantastic as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and hats off to them. And, yeah, as we said, there's a lot of innovation and different ways that they're retaining the clients, which which is amazing. True. Um, now we're almost at the hour actually. That that went really quick. So I'll just go through a quick five questions for you. Okay. Very nice, easy okay. questions for you. Yep. You, you did answer one during it, but I'll, I'll just repeat it for the listeners for it. So, what do you think is the most important quality in business?
1: As I said, resilience and capacity to change, to be able to look to the future, to be able to change in line with customer and societal needs.
0: No worries. Now, if you had one superpower, what
1: would it be? Oh, right now I want to be able to see the future. I want to see (laughs) what things look like at Christmas so I can plan for them.
0: That Uh, would be great, wouldn't it? See a uh, few numbers.
1: (laughs) It's what, well, apart from, you know, knowing what to do with share portfolios, (laughs) you know, but I think for all of us, you know, the challenge is not being able to know what six months, 12 months looks like at the moment. So I choose to have foresight not hindsight.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> now, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be?
1: It'll be a weird one for you. I would keep a database better. Because over my life, I've, you know, I've met lots of really interesting people and I just wish I'd done what some people do really well but wasn't me, and that's keep a database of the people that I've met and stay in touch with people more than I have, you know, busy, busy, busy all the time, doing different stuff and so on. So create and maintain a network, a better network. And can I say for all new business people, as you go on, your network really, really matters.
0: Okay, so we've just done the piece of advice for your younger self. Yeah. Now, what footy team do you follow?
1: Mitchell, I'm a sports junkie is the story. I am hopeless. So <laughs> I don't have one code, but there is one thing I, I probably should have told you before I started because then you probably wouldn't have interviewed me, but I'm actually a Collingwood supporter. Oh and I'm uh, sorry God. about <laughs> that. It's just that there's this thing, you know, that because I was a Collingwood supporter when I was little and I grew up in Queensland, but oh. our local football team was the Magpies. And so the Collingwood, you know, guys used to come up and, you know, train the, the magpies, you know, in Brisbane. So once, I didn't realise that once you became a Collingwood supporter that God would zap you <laughs> if ever you changed, regardless of anything. So on that basis, I'm a Collingwood supporter. Yep. But um, I love my Brumbies. From a union perspective, you know, a good solid Canberra team and also the Raiders from a league perspective. And I can quite comfortably watch soccer as well, or for that matter, anything that vaguely looks like sport. So <laughs> I could be going through some dramatic problem right now, not having any sport to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a bit of a crisis for you at the moment. That's, uh...
1: it, is a bit of a, it is a bit of a crisis, but there you go. There yeah. you are. So you've got a sports junkie.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Now, last question for you. What's your
1: favourite book? It's actually a really hard question because the book that I've probably read again more often is one you won't think and it's Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. And it's an old book, you know, and it's probably not one of the trendy management ones now but, you know, it's got some of the best information for you know, what you need to do to run a business and, for that matter, life generally. And Yeah, you know, I highly
0: recommend that book to all the listeners. It's, a, it's an excellent
1: book. I just think it needs a reread every couple of years to make you remember, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that's in there. From One of those books that you remember from youth is uh, Catcher in the Rye, Salinger, read it at school, but I've read it again since and it's a, a great book on the things that matter to people, which is surrounding depression and belonging and, you know, innocence and stuff. So two various ends of the spectrum. But I'm really quite capable of reading and, for that matter, listening because I use Audible books a lot while I'm driving or do a bit of running. No, I shuffle with intent. I don't really
2: want. Uh
1: So I, I listen to, to to books a lot and increasingly podcasts, I suppose. Yep. And, yeah, I'm a political junkie, so a chunk of them are political. Yep. So there you are.
0: If it helps raise mine, I listen to Audible all the time and get podcasts on political stuff and analysing it and and that. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. That's the the podcast. So, thank you. Thank you a lot. It's been awesome. I think our listeners will, will get a lot out of this. If any of our listeners do have any problems or, I suppose, want to reach out to... The ombudsman side of things, what's the best way that they can contact you
1: guys? If you come to our website, which is the Australian Small Business Family Enterprise Ombudsman, A-S-B-F-E-O, there's a phone number that you can ring or alternatively if you've got a dispute, there's a place you can uh, fill in the details and we'll get back to you. We do have real people in my office. They're not offshore somewhere or other. We mm. get back and we have a one-on-one discussion, but... From an um, advocacy perspective, if you've got something that you think the government's got to change its policy on, let us know and we'll have a chat and see what we can, uh, you know, if it's a good idea, we're really happy to push it forward and that's because my boss is small business. Yeah.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you again and for all the listeners, stay tuned for future podcast. Thanks very much, Mitch. You've been listening to The Mitch Moroni Show. Mitch Moroni Show.